folks love to make excuses as to why they, they will not come. And, and, and this, this setting, I'm a mover. Uh, I'm generally, uh, where I pastor, they've got a rope tied to me so I don't get too far away. But I also have a microphone strapped to my head so I can go wherever I want to. So if I walk away from this, I hope my loud mouth will project to where you can catch me. If you can't, just let me know. Because I do want you to hear what I'm saying. I talk a lot with my hands. I'm just... I really, I'm excited about Christ. Uh, I got saved in 1997 and I ain't got over it. Uh, and I hope I never do. Uh, the blood of Jesus changed my life. I was, a, I was just flat out a boogerhead. I mean, I'll just be honest with you. I was a very, very hard person to be around, period. Uh, I was mean. I just was. And, uh, I've had to apologize to a lot of people for the years. Uh, but a lot of folks like to make excuses to why they won't come to worship. And uh, I read this little article, and I'm going to read it to you uh, by way of introduction. Uh, you may have heard it, and if you have, just laugh with me. Uh, if, if you hadn't heard it, maybe you'll get a, a chuckle out of it, and, and maybe not. But uh, this article was actually in a newspaper in Michigan, and uh, here's what it said. It said, to make it possible for everyone to attend church next Sunday, we're going to have a special No Excuse Sunday. Cots will be placed in the foyer for those who say Sunday is my only day to sleep. We'll have steel helmets for those who say that the roof will cave in if I ever come to church. Blankets will be furnished for those who think the church is too cold and fans for those who think the church is too hot. We'll have hearing aids for those who think the preacher speaks too softly and cotton for those who think he speaks too loudly. Scorecards will be available for those who wish to list all the hypocrites present. <laughs> Some relatives will be in attendance for those who like to go visiting on Sunday. There will be TV dinners for those who can't go to church and cook dinner also. <laughs> One section will be devoted to trees and grass for those who see God only in nature. And finally, the sanctuary will be decorated both with Christmas poinsettias and Easter lilies for those who never saw the church without them. Well, we got a few laughs out of that from each other. Okay? But sadly, the people who really need to hear that aren't here. We should be motivated to worship God. We should be motivated to come together to worship. The author of Hebrews writes, chapter 10, verses 19-25, in order to exalt believers to action. So, revival... It's not a set of meetings. I hope something that through the Holy Spirit that I say in the next few days will spark your heart to revival in your life. Revival is not this set of meetings we're going to have today, tomorrow, Tuesday, and Wednesday. While we're going to have some good singing, we're going to uh, look at the Scripture and preach the Word. Revival is what happens inside of you when we really begin to worship God for what He's done for us. When that becomes a reality and more pure in your life, it'll show you who you are before a holy God. And revival then will begin upon repentance. The text says, and it's already been read for us, Therefore, brethren, I'm reading out of the New American Standard, and as he read earlier, the only word that I saw different is the ESV says curtain, where the NASB says veil. Uh, and, and when we get to there, I'll explain that. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He inaugurated for us through the veil, that is His flesh, since we have a great priest over the house of God, 
Let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembly together as some are in the habit, but encouraging one another all the more as you see that day drawing near. God, we just come today longing for that day. And Lord, if there be one here today who has never applied your shed blood to their heart and life, Lord, that today would be a reality that your spirit would scream truth into their heart and that they would bow before you in their very first act of worship. But for those of us that are believers, God, help us to leave today encouraged because we can come closer because of what you've done. Help us to hold fast our confession and help us to encourage one another to be more faithful witnesses for you. Lord, hide me in the shadow of your cross and let this sermon be an act of worship as I proclaim your word. For your holy name, it's in Christ's strong name I pray. Amen. Amen. The central truth today, uh, as you see in your notes that were in your bulletin, is the shed blood of Jesus motivates us to respond with worship. The shed blood of Jesus should motivate us to respond with worship. As the text begins, uh, the writer, uh, it's all over the place, but I think Paul wrote Hebrews, but some folks will say no, and there's a lot of people who say no who are probably way smarter than me, uh, Bible scholars and and seminary professors and different people. But, but the author of the book, which is we all know is the Holy Spirit ultimately, don't make any difference who wrote it down. The Holy Spirit wrote it. We know He's the author. So He says, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence. Therefore. What confidence? What's He talking about? He's already said something. In other words, he, so He can say, therefore. All this stuff that comes before that, it's because of that, therefore we have confidence. So we kind of have to look back just a minute and see what he said. In the beginning of, of the chapter in verse 1 uh, he gives us this idea of a shadow. He says for the law, since it is only a shadow of good things to come it's just a shadow. Now, we have to take, take a couple things into consideration here. What I'm going to do right now is I'm going to give you the means and the motivation that we should worship. And then I'm going to give you three ways that the author gives us that we should worship. Now the means and the motivation comes out of what he's saying here in this first part. In these first verses that we didn't uh, have the young fellow come up here and read. In the first 18 verses, he gives us this means and motivation. Of what that looks like is this is a Hebrew people who have come to faith in Christ. So he tells them, the things that you've been doing when you were steeped in temple ritual... When you were doing Old Testament sacrifices, when you were doing the things the old way, these were just a shadow of the things that are to come in the future. So now they have come to Christ. The things in the past were just a shadow of what they are actually experiencing as the church and as they worship. And they're to have confidence in these things. This shadow. Look at verse 3. Then he tells them, these sacrifices that you used to do are just a reminder of your sins year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. What they did in the Old Testament was they would sacrifice a bull or a goat and, and that, that blood sacrifice only appeased God's 
wrath. It literally didn't remove the guilt of sin. Anybody ever sinned in here and then you were guilty? You felt guilty? Y'all speak English, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. This guy here is the only guy that's ever sinned in the whole house that felt guilty. I think we need to give an invitation right now. <laughs> the blood of bulls and goats will not take away sin. All it was doing, it was a shadow. It was appeasing God's wrath. They still walked around guilty. That's why it was only good for a year. Every year they were reminded over and over of their sin. Now wouldn't that be horrible? If you blew it next week, God reminded you of what you did 20 years ago. It'd be hard to be faithful, wouldn't it? It'd be hard to be encouraged in the shed blood of Christ if that was the fact. But those were just a shadow. Look at verse 9. He goes on and tells them, uh, that Behold, I come to do your will. And he takes away the first in order to establish the second. The first thing he took away in order to establish the second. Not that God did away with the Old Testament. He just did away with that ritual in order to establish the second. It was just a shadow pointing to what's going to come. Verse 10, it's by this will we have sanctified, have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. It's by that that we've been sanctified. The word sanctified here means to be holy, dedicated, consecrated, purified, literally set apart. Bulls and goats' blood wouldn't do that. It had to be this new way by the body of Jesus. And notice he also says it's once and for all. It's not a year by year. Wouldn't it be awful if every year on the Day of Atonement, Gary had to come in here and y'all brought him a goat or a cow or uh, uh, whatever, some doves, and, and he had to skin all this stuff out and, 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 and before you could even approach God. See, what Jesus did, he did it's once and for all done, finished. It's done. Then he goes on and he says, Every priest stands daily ministering, offering time after time, same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. It only appeased God's wrath. But, verse 12, having offered one sacrifice for sin, for all time, he sat down at the right hand of God. Now that paints a picture of all kinds of things. Not only was the sin offering once and for all done, complete, finished. That's what happened. When he sat down, he's done. He's finished. Work was over. See, he don't have to. Jesus, Jesus don't have to go back to the cross. And sometimes we take him back there, though, don't we? We'll take him back to the cross, try to re-crucify him. Because, because we, we get all guilty. We let, let me tell you something. If you're here today and you feel guilty over sin, there's one of two things happening. Either you're lost and you don't know Jesus is your Lord and Savior. Or you're letting Satan get the victory in your life. Because he's the accuser, the Bible says. He's the one who points the guilty fingers. Not Jesus. Jesus took your sin and nailed it to a cross once and for all. And he sat down at the right hand of the Father. He's done it. It's done, been done. It's taken care of. Read with me further. Verses 16 and 18, he goes back to the Old Testament covenant uh, foretold through the prophet of Jeremiah. And this has been fulfilled. In verse, this is the covenant that I will make with them that after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart. 
And on their mind I will write them. Paul also quotes this, this same portion of Scripture in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verses 1-6. through 6. And their sins and their lawless deeds I'll remember no more. So if you're feeling guilty over something, God's unforgot about it. If you're a believer. Now if you're a believer, if you're not, then you need to repent. It has to start there. But if you're a believer, God's done forgot about your sin. And if you're feeling guilty, you're being accused, and that bogs us down. It's hard to come in here. And, and when they sing uh, praise of the songs like they sang this morning about worship, it's hard to really worship if I'm walking around feeling guilty because I mashed my finger and said a cuss word yesterday. Or, or worse. It's hard to worship. This is the motivation and the means that we have to worship. Nowhere. Now, where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. I'm not do it anymore. It's done. Therefore, it's because of all of that. Therefore, we have confidence to go into the holy place. We have confidence to enter the holy place. How? By the blood of Jesus. We can enter through the blood of Jesus. If you place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, you can enter into the holy place. Into the holy place. Look what he says in verse 20. By a new and living way. Again, the old's done. The old's just a shadow. Now you know how, this is Hebrews, you know how they worshiped back then, right? They killed those animals, they done the sacrifice, they went into the temple. And, and, and this area where you're sitting is separated by a veil or by a curtain. And in the back parts, the holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was. And the presence of God would come down on the Ark of the Covenant on the mercy seat. You, everybody understand that, right? You, they, couldn't, they couldn't enter that. Now, because of Jesus' blood, we don't have to worry about all that. It's already been taken care of. It's done. We can enter the holy place. Jesus is 100% God, 100% man. He stood as that veil, as that curtain, the text says, with one hand in the holy place, because He's 100% God, and 100% man, He stuck His arm into our need. He didn't have to. He did it because we needed it. And His body, the text says, He became our his flesh became that curtain and that veil. It's a new and living way. It is, the word new means recent, fresh. Uh, the word No longer do we see the atonement for sin through something dying like an animal. We see the atonement for sin now through an empty tomb. You know, Jesus is alive, right? Amen. This is Palm Sunday. I started to do a Palm Sunday message. But then I thought, well, if I do, I'll have to preach an Easter text every night this week. But I'm going to. Jesus is risen from the dead. That's Easter. Amen. Every text in the Bible points towards a bloody cross and an empty tomb. Every text. That's our means and our motivation to worship. We have this new and living way. And Jesus stood in the middle and bridged that gap. If you're here today and you never repented of your sins, the only way you can do that is because He stood as that veil. His body became that curtain that divided that line. You have to come through Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except by me. Verse 21. 
Since we have a great high priest, because Jesus did what He did, remember the old's pointing to the new, the first is done away for the second, because He's not only the sacrifice, He's the one stood in the middle, He's now our high priest. He's the one that's able. It's because of all of that, this is our motivation for worship. Amen? Amen. Is that challenging? Does that make you think you need to worship? Anybody in here die for me? If it meant me going to hell, would you die for me? <coughs> Nobody? Not a soul? <coughs> well, since I know I'm going to heaven, if it meant you going to hell, I'd die for you. Because I know what hell's going to be like. I don't want nobody to go. And I know I'm going to hell. It's done, done. It, it's done. It's finished. But it's because of all of that that I worship Amen. King Jesus. That's, right. that's my motivation. And that's how I can. I can worship Him. You, you know, you can't even worship Him if He hadn't done that. That's right. You have to go to a priest. You have to let Him do everything for you. You know, when you pray, God's listening. That's because He did what He did. That's right. Amen? 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 Now, first of all, let's see how we do worship. Look what He says. This is how we worship. He, he tags all three of these statements with the words, let us. Verse 22, let us. Instead of saying, let us, what about saying, I should? Instead of just let us, let's make it personal. I should draw near. But see, well, I ain't got any effect about what you do. I, I can challenge you. I can pray for you. I can love on you. I can encourage you. But I really, I can't make you do anything. So you have to be personal, and I have to be personal with the Lord. I should draw near. I should draw near. Me. I should draw near. Is that on the screen? It is. Good job. I should draw near. Okay? I forgot we even had a screen. I was just preaching. I'm used to this little young lady that does everything. Oh, I got it up there. Cool. I ain't even looking at I'm looking at y'all. Yes. Yes. Y'all just have to excuse me. Uh, yeah. I should draw near. Now, now uh, remember what's going on here. We've been separated from God because of sin. All the way from the beginning. Adam and Eve got kicked out of the Garden of Eden because of sin. They, they could no longer be. Eden was a place where God's presence was. He walked with them. He talked with them. We sang that song in the garden, right? Everybody know that song? Yeah. He walked with them. He talked with them. It was in the garden. But once they sinned, they had to go. Presence of God stayed where it was at. When they got to the desert, same thing. They're walking around in the desert. They get to Mount Sinai. Don't come up here. Nobody but Moses, which was a type of Christ. Remember the old point yeah. to the new. Moses could go on the mountain. They could, their animals couldn't even touch the mountain. They were separated from the presence of God. Then the Holy of Holies is the same thing. We just talked about how the temple was divided and the presence of God was in the back. Right? Okay. It's that mindset. Okay, Now, I should draw near. I should now. Because see, Jesus died. He's already bridged that gap. I should draw near. Not only can I, I should. Let us do that. How? Look what it says. Number one. So with a sincere heart. Ah, oh, there you go. With a sincere heart. Exactly. 
That's how we should do that. The word here in the Greek, the New Testament was written in Greek, by the way. It literally means that, that the heart is genuine, it's loyal, it's free from deceit. The true heart, it's a heart of gratitude because of what Christ has done. It's a sincere heart. Secondly, we should draw near with full assurance of faith. We don't have to be... You know in the Old Testament, that priest, he went in and he around the bottom of his, his garment, he had little bales sewed in there. They had tassels and bales. And when he'd walk it, he'd be sort of like his fellow was ringing that bell back here a while ago. Yeah. And when the bells quit ringing, guess what happened? He is dead. He messed up. He didn't do it right. We don't have to do that. Because what Jesus did, we can come with full assurance... With confidence, we can come knowing that we can meet with God. When I call on Him, I don't have to say, wonder if He's listening. He is. He's there. I can go straight to Him. Thirdly, we come with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This word here, evil conscience, translates as a conscience of sin. In other words, I don't have to be like they were with the, with the, with the goats and the bulls. I don't have to come and say, oh, I wonder if my sin's forgiven. Uh, it's appeased God, now I'm good. When I come and I lift up to God and I say, Lord, forgive me for my sins, I don't have to worry about it anymore. It's done. I'm clean. My evil conscience can be put behind me and I don't have to feel guilty. Now, that don't give me a right to just go sin, 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 but that's another sermon. Paul talks about that in Romans 7. But, but that's another sermon. Just know in confidence that if you'll repent of your sins, God will forgive you. First John 1 9. He'll forgive you. It's done. Now, let me give you an illustration here. Let me give you an illustration here. My son uh, and, and, and his wife, they had some problems. So, against good counsel, they parted ways. So they split custody with my granddaughter. He gets her three days, and she gets her two, and she gets her three, and he gets her two, and yada, 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 and back and forth. So one day, we go to pick up Ariel, and I took him down there to get her, and, and she was living with her parents. Uh, his ex-wife is living with her parents at that time. Now, my little granddaughter is separated from her dad. When she's not with her dad, and I'm not just saying this because of my son, she's calling him. She's like, Dad, I miss you. Because he plays with her, and, and her mom's, her job is she's just a really busy person, and, and it's just a different kind of relationship she has with him. And Noah, he, when, he just, when he's got her, there's nothing else on his mind. He lays down in the floor, and, you know, and they play. And, okay, so she, she's separated from her father. And we go down there to get her, and that day we go, we go down there. She's only about three at this time. She's older now. But, but she's only about three at this in her and Okay, I'm sorry. The house is here. And we drive by the house and pull in the driveway. We have to drive by to pull in. When we drive by, she's got her little nose mashed into the screen door. And she's standing there holding on to the thing. She, you know, she, she's waiting because he's already called and said we're coming. Okay. Well, as soon as he gets out of the car, she opens the door and it's about a three-foot porch. She is like she can fly. And had he not called her, she'd hit the ground. And why do I tell you that? See, we're no longer separated from our Father. And we should just have the faith and the confidence that she had and that trust. No guilty conscience. No worry about landing and bouncing to jump into our Heavenly Father's arms. Let us draw near because Jesus shed His blood for us. We should draw near to Him because we can. Secondly, 
No, I don't want to go there. Let me challenge you, man. Do you? Draw near? Can you say honestly in your own? Don't raise your hand here. <laughs> Unless you just feel like you need to. <laughs> Do you really draw near to God? With full assurance? Or do you walk around and let Satan have victory in your life? Or maybe you've never distrusted Jesus that He died for your sin and got that evil conscience washed away. Maybe you need to start right there. What about as a corporate body? When you come together, do you feel like you're coming near to God? Or do you feel like you're just coming and going through the motions? Sadly to say, it happens in churches every Sunday morning. Folks come in, check it off their list, and go home. They just, they're not drawing near. If the Holy Spirit don't show up in your service, would anything change? That's a good question to ask. If God don't show up on Sunday in your heart, not Brother Gary's, he's, he should have done showed up in Gary's before he gets here on Sunday. <laughs> if he don't... Would anything change? Something to think about. Something to think about. Number two, let us, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Verse 23. Uh, first it was drawn here. Now it's, it's holding fast the confession of our hope without wavering. I should, not just let us, I should hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? Because he who is promised is faithful. Now you have to remember here, He's stressing this Jeremiah 31 thing from back in verse 16. He's stressing that covenant promise. Since God promises our hope, we should not, should we not just cherish it? You know, has anybody ever lied to you, made you promise and didn't keep it? <laughs> I'm just wondering, if y'all. <laughs> we on the same? Yeah. God ain't never done that to you, though, has he? No. Because of that, we should cherish that. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithless... Is that, do I got a slide for that? Oh yeah. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. Take Him at His word. Hold fast to the promise that He's made. Because God is faithful to His promise. Look what it says, is that we shouldn't waver. The word here for waver literally means not to bend, to be straight. Uh, we call this back at my house being wishy-washy. I said that in a sermon overseas and the people are like, what you <laughs> <laughs> You know, wishy-washy. It's like an agitator in a washing machine. We waver. We don't say straight to the course. You know, a lot of times we're straight to the course when it's convenient for us. Mm. We're not straight for the course when we don't want to be because our flesh takes over. I preached some funerals in my day, but there were two funerals that I remember very specific in my life. And these were two people that I ran around with before I come to know Jesus. Now remember what I said earlier about my relationship with the Lord and how I acted and all that. So these people, when I came to Christ, I went to some of these people and started trying to win them to faith. I had a pretty good source of sinners for me to dip into when I came to Christ. And you probably do too. But here's what I did. I went to these people. One of these people made a profession of faith, came to church, stayed for about a year. The world got heavy on them. They went back. Then they died. Another person never ever made a profession of faith in Christ, but died, and their husband called and asked me to preach the funeral. Now, 
What am I telling you this? When I preached that funeral, do you think I wavered on the gospel? Do you think I stood up in the pulpit and said, Well, even though sister so-and-so never has darkened the door of the church ever, she went to heaven. I didn't stand up and do that. But I also didn't stand up and say, you know, she busted hell wide open either. I didn't. I, I never knew that somebody that, at that time in their life. That's just not the right time to do that. I mean, you know, you crush somebody. You really, you know. It'd be a powerful motivator maybe, but I, I just wouldn't do that. The reason I'm telling you this is this. What I did is I preached the gospel without apology. That's right. And I said, Jesus died on the cross, paid a penalty of so-and-so's sin, was buried in a tomb and rose from the dead. If they put their faith in Christ, and if you'll put your faith in Christ somewhere in your life and trust Him with all your heart and, and stay focused, you'll go to heaven. And if they did, they are today. Would you like to do that today? That's how I preached that funeral. See, wouldn't it be greater to live our lives where we hold fast to the confession when we die to preach a preacher won't like to lie? Amen. I, I ain't gonna, but won't have to even be tempted to. We can stay focused. Don't live, hold fast to the confession of your faith because He is faithful. He's faithful. <coughs> so what about you? When it comes time to talk, do people know you're a Christian? Number one, you know, at your workplace, do people say, well, you know, I know Brother Gary's a Christian. He goes to Red Button Baptist Church. I don't make him one. That's right. But, but maybe by, by the way you live your life. You know, people see you pray over your meals. When they have a concern, you know, they come in, they're all bent out of shape. You know, my, my wife's in the hospital, or my kid, or my aunt, or my dad, or my mom. You pray with them. You know, man, I see you just really stressed out. Can I pray with you? Because you know what's going to happen? Eventually, they're going to say, what are you going to do with Because I know who's faithful. I know who has the power. We didn't, Brother Gary didn't stand up here and lead us in that prayer because he didn't think God wasn't listening. Or God wouldn't do anything. You care about your co-workers. You care about your family. I got people in my family that scares me to death. And I get it. You can't be beating them in the head with a Bible every time you see them because when you come, they get in the car and leave them. We got to go, we we go to Walmart. You know? They're going to make up somewhere to go. But you know what? I led a girl to Christ in Walmart about three weeks ago, right in front of the ice cream aisle. <coughs> we moved buggy six times. We stood there and talked for an hour. I tried to get her to go to Subway and sit down. But she prayed to receive Jesus right there on the ice cream aisle in Walmart. God's faithful. Amen. We just can't waver on the gospel. We've got to live it. We've got to be serious about it. We've got to be serious about it. Thirdly, because of Jesus' sacrificial death, I should draw near, number one. Number two, I should not waver my confession. And lastly, I should consider how to stimulate others to love and good deeds. This word here, stimulate, only appears one other time in the Greek New Testament. Only one other time. And it's in Acts 15.39. I don't know if I got that one in there or not. No, we don't. Don't go no further. <laughs> Acts 15.39. Uh, what's happening in Acts 15.39 is Paul and Barnabas are, are, are back and forth about whether they're going to take John Mark with them on a mission trip. Okay? And, so, and what happens is this. is uh, it, That word there and that verse stimulate in, in Acts is actually used in a negative sense. What the word really means here is to actually to stir each other up or to provoke. When we come to church, we come together to stir each other up. Right. Now, n- not in an interference way, <laughs> or, or not in a negative way, or not 
But we're to provoke one another. What's it say? To good deeds. Amen. We come together to stir one another up. So this word, it means the same thing, but we want to do it in a positive sense, not in a negative sense. What's it say? How do we do it? First of all, not forsaking the assembly together. He tells us what not to do, and then He tells us what to do. First of all, how do you, how do you stir one another up? Well, you don't stop meeting together. If you're here today and you've already said, well, this is going to be it for me. I hope you do a good job because I'll never see you again unless we get to heaven together. You know, you're, you'll be forsaken meeting together. We're having meetings here. You know, I understand sometimes people do go to work with different things. You know, if I break my leg, I want to go to the emergency room and somebody be there and fix it. I get it. But you know, painting your toenails is not an excuse not to come to church. My wife calls that peanut butter. Just because there's really no excuse at all, it's just peanut butter. You call it what you want to. We shouldn't forsake the assembling together of believers. Because, see, there's no way. You can't stimulate me from a distance. You can't provoke me from a distance. Even in a negative sense. If, If Gary wanted to beat me up and he was trying to provoke me, if he's out here and I'm in Lincolnton, big deal. He can't get to me. He can't provoke me to anger. He's got to be here. But even in a positive sense, how can you encourage somebody from a distance? Is it not more personal to look people in the eyes? Say, let me pray for you. You've done a good job. Where's the choir directing lady at? She's disappeared. There you are. You've done a good job. You really did. Choir, you've done a great job. Instrumentalist. See, I can't do that. Don't mean as much if I'm not looking at you. What do you mean? You've done a good job by on that organ, man. <laughs> we need to come together. We need to come together. So we don't need to. For, the word here, forsake, literally means to abandon. It's the same word that Jesus used on the cross. My God, why have you forsaken me? It's that word. How many people do you know who've abandoned this congregation? You ain't seen them in a while. They got the habit of not coming. It's easy. You miss one. Next Sunday's real easy. Next Sunday's real easy. And then deer season opens. You ain't coming back. <laughs> not for meeting. The forsaken of meeting together. Then look what he says. So that's what not to do. What he says to do. Encourage others all the more as you see the day draws. Uh, the day of the Lord draws near. The emphasis is not on what the believer gets from the assembly. Hear that. The emphasis here is not on what you get from this assembly. The emphasis is on what you contribute to the assembly. When it's church day, I got a blessing. What would be better is for somebody else to say you went to church today and they got a blessing. It's not about us. Oh, God bless me. You blessed, you here. Oh, God, I hope I bless you today. I hope I can be a blessing to you today. Mm-hmm. Let me encourage somebody today. If it's just one person, let me encourage somebody today. The emphasis is not on us, it's on others. And a great insight to the end of this passage that a lot of folks miss is this assembling together. It's this idea of coming together. Look at the very end of the verse. He says, as you see the day drawing near... The only other place this is used in the Bible is in 2 Thessalonians 2.1. I do think I have that slide. 
Yeah. Paul says, Now we requested you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him. It's that idea of gathering together on the final day is what Paul's talking about on this slide. It's that idea. The only other place that this phrase is used is here in the whole New Testament. That coming together. Let us encourage one another because that day is coming. That day is drawing near. And I believe it's going to be sooner than later. And I know preachers have been saying that for 2,000 years. But things are lining up. Now, I'm not going to get into prophecy and trying to tell you I know when the Lord's coming back because I don't. Now, anybody say they do is a liar. Because the Bible says they don't. Not because I say they don't. Because God says they don't. But it's looking good for those of us who are followers of Christ. It ain't going to be long. I'm reminded... And I know, as Gary said, I'm, I'm, I'm vertically challenged and I'm getting as round as I am tall. But it ain't always been this way. It ain't. When I was a younger fella, believe it or not, I was an amateur fighter, an amateur boxer. I fought golden gloves. And for five of those years that I fought out of about seven, I was actually a contender. I, when I was in high school, I was really, really in shape. I wasn't that good of a fighter. I was just in shape. And what I'm about to tell you is, is how we won a lot of our fights. And, and, and here's what happened. We would train every night at the end of our workout. We would get, by the way, I was about 98 pounds to 119, that range, when I was really good. Yeah, I was 100 pounds ago. <laughs> it's also about 30 years ago, too. <laughs> But but we were we would we would get we'd be wore out. You know, you done went all day to school, come home, trained all night, you know, a couple of hours, you were sweaty, wore out, tired, ready to get some, some food. And and the last thing we would do every night is we'd take the big round the big round heavy bags and some guy would hold that bag. What we would do is this for a whole minute, click, we would just boom, 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 just hard as you could go, everything you have on that bag. Then they go at the end of a minute. They say, "Click." You'd stop. You rest for a minute. Walk around, breathe. Let your heart slow down. Then do it again. Boom. And we do that three times. Now here's the reason why we would do that. When we were fighting, we fought three three-minute rounds, just like the Olympic fighters. If you want to see amateur boxing, the Olympics that's the same thing. But of course, back they got a lot more precautions and stuff now. But but what we would do is this: we'd get our whole team to come to the ringside. I don't care if you pay good money for ringside seats. We didn't care. We would get right in front of you. Our whole team. And somebody had a stopwatch. You see where I'm going? You'd be fighting, you know, moving along for two minutes. And right when it got down to a minute left to go in the round, we would start going, go, go, go. One minute, one minute, one minute. And man, we just him whoever it was up in the corner because we was already prepared. We just him, I mean, just, I mean, for a minute, we just pound them. And then why? We'd get to rest. Click, ding, go sit down. You got a minute, rest. Ding, back in there again, two minutes. At the end of that round, go, go. And we mean, we just let them have it. And we'd do that every single round. We won a bunch of fights just because those guys couldn't take that last minute. We just beat them to death because we was, we trained to do that. But see, we had each other. Hear me. We had each other around us. Hebrews says, Don't forsake the assembling together or summon in a habit, but encourage one another all the more you see the day drawing near. 
What's going to happen when Jesus comes? We get to rest, right? Work's over. Being the servant in the field's done. It's over with. So we need to come together, not because it's about me leaving here with the blessing. It's so I can come in here and say, Brother, go, go, go. If they see it in your life, go, go, go. Why? Because Jesus is coming. That's right. There's a day we're going to get to rest. We need each other. We need that. Because if you was up there in that ring and nobody was hollering, you didn't know what time it was. Especially after you started getting tired in the third round. You're like, dang, this ain't never going to end. This got to kill me. I you know. But see, you had that person, accountability. Go, it's time. It's time. See, Satan wants to get us distracted of what matters. And we need each other to keep us focused on what matters. Revival begins when we decide we're going to go. And we're going to press on. We need each other to stay focused, to know, hey, you can draw near to God. Don't get discouraged by the world. You can draw near to God. Why? Because Jesus died for you. If you'll just repent and trust Him, He died for you. Well, I'm, I'm thinking about wavering from my confession. Why? We need each other. Don't waver. Man, hey, brother, I see you, miss, I see you slacking off. Or, hey, sister, I, 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 man, I I, I, you missed a couple times. Or, you know, I heard the... What happens is we get all mad. If somebody comes up and says, oh, somebody told me, somebody told me, you were so-and-so doing so-and-so. Are you judging me? We get all mad. If it's a believer, why not say, well, this is what really happened. You, you heard that wrong. Or, maybe I shouldn't have been there. Even if he didn't do anything wrong. See, revival begins when we come together. Our hearts change. We encourage one another to draw near to God. Sure. So today, what about you? Are you drawing near to God? Has there ever been a time that you know for sure God spoke to your heart and you said, God, forgive me of my sins. I want to put my faith in you and trust you. I believe you died on the cross and you rose from the grave. Fill me with your spirit. I want to be a Christ follower. If that's never happened, you're not going to go to heaven. I'm going to be honest. I'm not going to waver. You're not going to. You see, I don't want you to make that commitment out of fear of not going to heaven. I want you to make that commitment out of love for the one who died so you could go. That's where the encouragement comes my confidence is in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. I worship because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Where's your energy drawn to today? What are you focused on? What matters? Are you faithful to your confession or do you waver? Are you even sharing the gospel with the people that you know and don't know Jesus? Oh, I, I don't know how. Paul's way worked real well in the Bible. I'm not really sure what happened, but God showed up. And when He did, my life changed. That's a good start. <coughs> You've actually heard the Gospel here this morning, I don't know how many times. Jesus died on the cross, was buried in a tomb, 
and he rose from the dead so that sinners could be saved if we'll just trust him. That's the gospel. I wish I could make it harder, but it ain't. That's it. That's all. That's it. Are you sharing it? And lastly, to whom in the body of Christ today, tomorrow, or this week, who could you just call up and be an encourager to? Man, I know you struggle. Your mom and dad's been sick. I know it's got to be hard on you. Whatever. Who could you encourage today? In Jesus' name. Not to make you look better. Not because the preacher told you to. But in Jesus' name. Who could you encourage today? Or this week? Maybe it's somebody who's been forsaken in the assembly that needs to be here to hear the gospel. I don't know how Gary does an altar call. We've talked about it, but here's how I feel like it. I'm going to ask the musicians.